Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Welcome to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast, a.k.a. the Build Your Dream Life podcast, where each week we discuss waking up to who we truly are, finding our purpose, and the importance of building your dream life. I am so excited for this episode today with Victoria Vaughn. Victoria is a self-published author, advanced certified grief recovery specialist, creator and podcast host of Grieving Voices, Reiki master, certified UMAP coach, and end-of-life doula. She aims to use her strengths and skills through a variety of offerings, to help those whose lives have been appended by grief and loss go from surviving to thriving. In this episode, we dive into Victoria's story of loss, navigating her own journey of grief, and how it's led her to her life today, and how she's helping people all over the country go from surviving to thriving. With that, enjoy the show. Victoria, thanks so much for coming on the Bits of Gold podcast today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on. I am always excited and curious to speak with anyone who's doing meaningful work around grief, loss, and helping people move forward after experiencing grief and loss. So very excited to dive into your own story, dive into what you're building today and how you're helping people in this space. Yeah, it mounts on top of each other, right? The grief experiences, it's never just one. So that's true for my story and most people I talk to on my podcast. So Yeah, a hundred percent. So maybe just to kick things off, I would love if you could share a little bit about your own story and how you ended up in the grief space. And I'm always fascinated to speak with people who are doing meaningful work in this space, because obviously, you know, typically I feel it is a series of unfortunate events or an unfortunate event that took that person to this space. But I'm really always fascinated, moved and inspired by the people who have taken their experience or their experiences. And Today, I've channeled their energy to have meaningful impact in the world and help others who might be in a similar situation. So yeah, I'm just very excited to have you on today. Yeah. And I think that's what I was doing for many years was I was looking for meaning. I really, truly felt like I was just here to suffer because I had lost my father when I was eight, but he was sick for a good year and a half even before that uh, with cancer. So, And then my grandmother was sick at the same time. She had actually passed away before him. She lived with us for a short time as well. She had melanoma and my dad had colon cancer. So within a span of a year, my mother lost her mother and her husband. And I was the youngest of four kids. Um, My sister was just on the cusp of leaving, starting her adult journey. She was graduating from high school and joined the military and left. And she was like a second mom to me. So when my dad passed away and she left, Then it was just me and my brother, and he was five years older than me. So he was a teenager, started to do his own thing, wasn't really around much. And my mom had started a new relationship, and he was on the road a lot with his job. And so she joined him. 
And so I was often home alone or with my brother who was off doing his own thing. So I just was left to fend for myself. But I also was molested as a child after my dad had passed away and a little bit again when I was older. So it was grief and trauma and grief and trauma and grief and trauma. And it was people either died or they left. (laughs) It was my experience. And, you know, I could have taken a really different path as a teenager, but I was actually just reminiscing the other day looking, you know, when I was in high school, the thing when you were a senior, I don't know if it still is today, but kids would write on the back of their pictures they gave to you. And some of the messages, or one of them I I read was a friend of mine had written, we were very close friends. Her parents divorced when she was a teenager and she was really struggling. She was, she chose a different path. She was drinking at 13 and getting into trouble and would have been coined the trouble child, right? And here was me, I was the wallflower and I was quiet and I did what I was told and really internalized all of my grief and my pain, whereas she outwardly expressed it. But on the back of her picture to me, she wrote, I love that you care so damn much and that you were like a second mom to me. And you always told me right from wrong. (laughs) You know, so I was like this. I just I felt like I had to protect her in some way or help guide her. In other messages, I, I just realized like I was walking to the beat of my own drum then. And that really is I found my way back to that only after I addressed my grief. But yeah, it's it's many experiences that we often have with grief and it's cumulative and it's cumulatively negative. And until we really, truly start to peel back the layers of the onion, we don't even recognize how much of an impact it has on our lives, but it does. It impacts our money, our relationships, our potential. We don't even really see opportunity. It's almost as if we don't see ourselves for what we could be. And the grievers that I've talked to, and even myself, there's two versions of you. It's the version of you before grief and the version of you after you have a devastating loss or trauma, because it changes you for sure. I absolutely agree with that. I, I always say that there's your life before grief and your life after, and you're two entirely different people as a result. What was it like for you as an eight-year-old when your dad was sick and leading up to your dad's passing? You know, all of the pictures I have growing up uh, fit into a sandwich Ziploc bag. There wasn't a lot of pictures taken, but the few that I do have, there was, I was actually just talking about this not that long ago, but I slept a lot. I needed a lot of sleep as a child. And I think it was the grief, obviously, and the trauma. I'm a highly sensitive person. And as a child, I didn't recognize that, you know, like people's, other people's emotions, like overwhelmed me as a child. I really became this emotional sponge of other people's stuff. And so I did. I slept a lot. I was getting ready for a birthday party. I was, I fell asleep on my bed with my shoes on and my coat and everything waiting to go to this birthday party. And I missed it because I fell asleep. There's many pictures like that. But with my dad, there is one picture where I had put on like this nursing gown or like this doctor's blue hat. And I had these, you know, these gloves and a mask, like a surgical mask. And I was working on my dad. I was trying to fix him. So there's always been this deep desire to make things better, make the situation better, help other people feel better. I just denied it for many years too. I really did deny it. I went into different occupations that 
didn't play to my strengths and didn't, I used my empathy. I was a CNA in a nursing home for a time and I was going to pursue nursing and then life happened. I ended up getting deployed with the military and that changed my entire life. Um, ended up with a son <laughs> and yeah, we just never expect what life is going to throw at us, do we? Absolutely. Would you say you were so young when your father passed? Did you know that he was going to die? Did you understand death at that point? I'm curious what that was like for you. Well, they were gone a lot. He and my mom, he had to doctor. He was a veteran himself. And so he would go to the VA hospital, which was, we only had one in the entire state and it was like two, three hours away. And so while my mom was gone with him, I would be bounced around from friend's house, the neighbor. There wasn't a lot of stability. In fact, one of my one of my memories really sticks out. I was at, I was staying with my neighbor. My mom was with my dad and I had thrown up all over myself. And she threw me in the shower with my gown, with my nightgown and everything and I just felt so I felt so shameful. I just felt so bad about what I had done. You know, I just you know, again, internalizing that, but there was no communication about grief and none of it. Like it just wasn't talked about. People assumed, I do recall at my, no, my dad's funeral or probably even after, I guess you're a child. So everyone's like a giant to you and you're walking around. And I heard someone say, she doesn't understand what's going on anyway. And that has stuck with me for 35 years. The anniversary of my dad's passing was on March 31st. It was 35 years. Wow. Yeah. And it, I've never forgotten it because I think that's what adults, they underestimate ch kids. Children are so underestimated about what their understanding is about adult issues. And I think even more so now, children are exposed to so much more. That makes sense. I mean, you can give a three-year-old an iPad and they know how to work it before a 65-year-old does. So you navigate this through your young childhood, your teens, and like into young adulthood, I'm very curious how you end up in the space of helping others who are grieving. Well, that took up until just like 2019. It's very recent, actually. I struggled for up until then. I really did. I found grief recovery in 2019, and my life has not been the same. It really transformed my grief. Before that, I would say the grief just changed with me. I had phases where I used and abused alcohol. I was a ragey mom. I was very angry. I was, a, I was an angry child that became an angry adult because I had stuffed everything. I'm a certified UMAP coach. And one of the things is with that is you learn your top five strengths and your values and things and how you're wired. And I have more thinking themes, which is so fitting for me because I am. I'm a thinker. I'm a like a solo processor, like I process information, like in my head, my emotions, my thoughts and things. And so I'm not as expressive or I'm slow to express. And that would be to my demise much of the time as an adult, because sometimes when you're forced to make a decision, people want a quick decision. It's like, no, I can't. I need time to think about it. You know, for those that are tuning in, what exactly is being certified in the UMAP program? It's the one and only personality test you will ever need in your entire life. <laughs> it uses the Gallup Strengths assessment, but then there's three other assessments and all together they create a UMAP. And it gives you the language for what you bring to the table, whether that be to re your relationships, to your employment, to your business, if you're a business owner, and to your life. 
to your friendships, it showed me like my number one strength is empathy. And I also have connectedness and strategic and input and all of these together just show me I'm aligned with the work that I'm doing today. It is aligned with my values as well. Yeah, those personality tests, I actually took one recently and I was so floored at how precise and accurate it was as it relates to my own life. It was like, I ran into the other room and I went to my wife and I'm like, just did one of these tests and it is crazy how accurate it is. But this actually takes it one step further. Your UMAP can actually become your roadmap. Any decision that you're making or faced with, look at your UMAP. If you want to think about branding in your business, look at your UMAP. It gives you the language. You want to apply for a new job, look at your UMAP. Where can people find out more about the UMAP? Yeah, on my website. And I actually include it in the one-on-one work I do with grief clients because I have found on the onset, it helps me to understand the griever better. And imagine if, let's say you're married and you're, as a couple, you experience the death of a child. And one person is very much, has more thinking themes, is very much a thinker like myself. And let's say the other person is more, has more people facing themes, which they're more communicative, right? So the person that is more communicative is going to express their grief. They're going to want to talk it out. They're going to want to hash things out. And they're going to expect that the other person is going to be receptive to that. But someone like me, no, I need to process on my own, in my head, in my thoughts, in my journal, whatever, alone, right? That other person can take that as being dismissive, not caring, not grieving the way they should. So when we understand how different and unique we really are and how individual we are, we can honor the way that we're grieving in each other as well and how we're showing up in our relationships. It could actually save relationships, I think, if people understood their UMAP in the relationship. Got it. That makes sense. So in terms of you launching your business and helping people who are grieving, like what sparked or what led to you deciding that you wanted to do this in 2019? I had another loss. I was in the editing phase of my book and I found out my dad's only living brother was diagnosed with brain cancer. And when my dad passed away, not only did I lose my dad, but I also lost his entire side of the family. They were no longer in my life, in our life. And it was nearly 30 years to the day that I went to see him when he was in the hospital. Changed my life. It changed his, I think, too. I think we both needed it. I was holding on to this story that was passed down to me that wasn't mine. I think so often, too, as adults, we get stuck in a story. Well, they did this to me. They did that to me. They didn't do this. They didn't do that. We pass that on to our kids. We make our kids not like that other person or be angry at that other person because of what they did to our loved one, right? Or they did to us. It's almost like using... It's passing on a victim story is what it is. And I was carrying on a victim story that wasn't mine and that I wanted to really investigate for myself. And I went to see, I walked in the door and I didn't know if he was going to recognize me. It had been 30 years at that point since I had even seen him. And we had a beautiful 10 minutes. And then all of a sudden there's a knock on the door and it was my cousin, his daughter from Minnesota. And a cousin from Connecticut who I'd never had remembered meeting because I was so little when I had met her. And we had this beautiful family little reunion and I had six months with him to reconnect. And it was healing. 
in many ways. And I think exactly what we both needed. And I could let go. I almost let go of that story the moment I saw him. I forgave him in my heart, but I didn't need to say anything to him about it. We didn't even really talk about it, actually. It was just the knowing, I think, that how sad it is that we hold and grip on to anger and resentment. And it just, it tears people apart. So yeah, I went, I had that loss. He had ended up passing away, of course. And then I had another loss the following year of a good friend. And we don't think of friendship often as causing grief, but it is sometimes the most, you know, we can have an intimate relationship with a friend. We can share things about ourselves we may not share with other people. And this person was someone who, for the first time, was someone that I had met that was unlike anyone else I had ever met. And it was an online friendship. It was a female. It was like she was a spiritual sister or something. You know, that kind of connection. We could have those deep philosophical conversations. and But anyway, I became an energy vampire. <laughs> and it kind of drove her away. Because again, I had that other loss. It brought up all my old crap. I was grieving. Here she comes along. We connect. I think I'm doing fine. I think I'm okay. But she was giving me something that I had never gotten before. And so I latched on to that like kid holds on to candy. And it became too much for her. And she cut off their friendship. And I was hurt and devastated and angry too. But that really is what set the tone for me realizing, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? Because I would take things so personally. I would get angry so quickly. I would dwell on the story. And I just felt like a victim. And it was just another reminder of, I guess I'm just here to suffer the rest of my life, right? Because everyone I know just dies or goes away. And so I Googled, I don't remember what I Googled, but I found grief recovery and went for the training because I knew it was something I wanted to utilize. I wanted to help myself, but I also wanted to help others and it changed my life. How is grief recovery different from other means of moving beyond grief? Because it's action. Every step, every session, every thing about it is about taking action. So for those that are listening, could you share a little bit more about exactly what grief recovery is? Yeah. So we, I mean, we talk a lot about the first 10 episodes of my podcast, Grieving Voices, is really the foundation of grief recovery. We talk about the beliefs that we have about grief. All There's six myths how would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. 
That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. That nearly every single person on this planet, I guess, is taught as children because the cycle continues. Unless someone breaks the cycle. What are the myths? Don't feel bad. As a kid, maybe you come home, you're sad. Someone pushed you or traded you badly on the playground and your mom said, oh, here, have a cookie. That's okay. Don't feel bad, right? Or we hand, as adults, we hand someone else a tissue. They start crying, we hand them a tissue. And what that does is it stops their emotion. Don't cry. Here's a tissue. Makes me uncomfortable, right? I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do, but I'll hand you a tissue. Stop your crying. (laughs) That's the subliminal message, right? That we don't realize we're doing. Replace the loss. As a child, too, we're often, if we lose a pet, oh, that's okay. We'll get another pet next week. We can go to the pet store. We'll get another dog. There's plenty of dogs out there. Dismissing that the child lost probably their best friend in that pet. The relationship, dismissing that relationship that the child had. Even friendships. You know, if a child has to move, there's grief there. They don't have a choice or a say. Replace the loss. So that comes back to with the dog. Or the friend, you know, if you have to move. Well, there's plenty of friends. You'll make new friends. So replacing the loss. Or we replace the loss with alcohol or these behaviors called STURBS. Yeah, I was going to say like a thing. Sometimes, you know, people are like, oh, it's good. You have a business to focus on or you have a hobby to focus on. Oh, just keep busy. That's what people say. That's another myth is just keep busy. Pour yourself into your work. So replace the loss and keep busy. Be strong. Like as a society, it's, you know, if you're not crumbling or falling apart, you're so strong. But what does that even mean? What does that mean to be strong? Does it mean you're just not expressing yourself? You can be strong or you can be human, right? So that that's unhelpful. And then everyone knows time heals all wounds and time just passes. So those are the there's six myths of grief and we're all taught these. Do you think the narrative around those or the education around grief and how to move forward after grief is changing? Or do you think we're kind of still stuck in the the stone age with the mentality and what a lot of people believe you're supposed to do or how you're supposed to navigate after losing someone? Well, I would say to that is there's a couple different camps that I see, especially in social media. There are some that will, it's almost like spiritual bypassing. I'll pray my way out of it. I'll pray this away. I'll just give it to God or I'll give it, you know, I'm giving it somewhere else, (laughs) you know, but Mm, it's still there. You haven't addressed it. It's still within you. So people fall under this guise of, I did too. I was one of them. I'm okay. I'm fine. And what we say in grief recovery is when people say I'm fine, it's feelings inside not expressed. And there's also people that will say, I don't need to dig up my stuff. I've addressed it in the past. Okay. So look at your behaviors today and the patterns of your life. And if they're repetitive, you haven't addressed crap. It's still (laughs) coming up. It's just maybe taking different shape or form. Yeah, I've heard that one before. And you'll hear people say, everyone has their own way to grieving. Everyone, you know, and I actually had a post about this not long ago, or it's coming up, I can't remember, but everyone grieves their own way. 
Yes, that's true. But we all have learned these six myths of grief. We've all been subliminally or non-intentionally taught these, and we either implode or we explode. And so if we haven't addressed our grief, we either start having physical symptoms or disease, or we express it outwardly with disturbs, short-term energy-relieving behaviors such as alcohol, gambling, drugs, shopping, sex, porn, workaholism, fantasy, you name it. There's tons of things people can resort to to feel better for a short period of time. I'm curious, so since you started helping people in 2019 with their own grief, how has your own grief and your own experience with grief evolved and what have you learned or through your own grief, what have you learned about yourself and how is that shaping your life today? Honestly, I continue to do the work. And the beautiful thing about grief recovery is once you learn the tools and the knowledge and you have the knowledge, which knowledge is one thing, but you have to apply it into your life. You have to integrate it into your life. And so that's what this process helps you do too. But I continue to work on relationships. I've worked on my relationship with alcohol. I've worked on my relationship with money, my inner child. One aspect that I'm thinking I should work on because it's been coming up a lot is food. Not that I have an eating disorder, but we have a relationship with food and we've often been shaped by that relationship in childhood. And so whether you grow up in a house of scarcity, there wasn't enough food, or you didn't know when your next meal was coming, or food was used as an expression of love and you use food to soothe now as an adult, right? We have relationships with these things in our lives and they start from our childhood. And so it's really been for me excavating all of these different relationships and aspects of my life where I feel like I need some work. Some work needs to be done. So for someone listening, if they experience their own loss and they're trying to navigate, what would be your advice? How do you start to process and navigate the complexities associated with grieving? You can't do it alone. I thought I could do it alone because actually when I first signed up for my training and the program, uh, it was canceled. And so in the meantime, I, I purchased the book, the Grief Recovery Handbook, and I thought I could do it myself. This isn't the copy. I, I should have had the other copy. The, my other copy has like my highlights and my sticky notes all the way around. We don't heal on an island. We can't heal in isolation. We need support and we need someone that can guide us who's a little bit further along than us or who's maybe even further than that from their grief, who's addressed their stuff, right? Because how I see it too, is we can only sit with others to the depths that we've been able to sit with ourselves in our own grief. That's my belief. So I'm curious, as it relates to grief, one topic or theme that's come up on the show, quite often, I'd say in a handful of conversations has been sort of the balancing between the empowering or the positive things that may have come as a result of the grief, not necessarily through the grief. And obviously, you don't wish death loss upon anyone, especially a tragedy. But I am curious, especially since you're helping people navigate in their own grief, I am curious if there's been anything surprising that grief's taught you that maybe shaped your life for the better. That's a question on my, on my sheet that I ask my guests. And here, I don't even have an answer for that. That's funny. <laughs> Some people will hear that question and they don't want to, they don't believe, and that's okay too, that maybe, sure, this has shaped my life and I'm doing some impactful things as a result, but I would trade it all back in a second. 
I don't want these lessons, although I have them or these positive things that have come as a result. I just want that person back. And that's obviously okay if that's your own belief or that's how you feel, et cetera. But you know, obviously it, it seems like your own experiences have brought you to this point where you're doing very impactful work and helping others. And I am very much fascinated by the people who turned literally some of the worst moments in their life or the worst experience in their life into this calling movement ability to take that experience and, and help others. I would say that's the pain talking. And I think that's the difference. Do I get sad still? Yeah. My dad's never going to know his grandchildren. There's been monumental moments in my life that he's not been present. So the sadness is still there, but it's no longer the pain of that loss and the impact, the ripple effects that that loss had in my life, which extended for 30 plus years in my life, no longer define the choices or the path that I am taking. I have chosen my path despite the pain and the trauma and the grief and the loss. It's not the pain talking anymore. I've transmuted it into something meaningful and positive for me. This is just as much for me as it is for those I serve. And so I often do see, like if someone, especially the loss of a child, I cannot imagine, I've not lost a child, but that has to be, there is no hierarchy of loss. That has to be a very devastating loss. But I've seen where people then turn that pain into some sort of mission, right? It becomes a mission to pass a law or to create this memorial or to do something impactful, right? And that's great. But if the pain is the motivator, no amount of goodness that comes of it is going to take that away. You have to address the pain of the loss. That's not going to change. You have to pull it from its root. There is one woman, she's a mentor of mine from the Grief Recovery Institute. She had been, I have a podcast out on it. Um, it's Sandy Derby. So I can share this because it's her story and she did share it. Her own father, I believe it was her uncle, had sexually, satanically abused her, used religion against her. She became a meth addict. She is a trained, certified, advanced grief recovery specialist with the Institute and does their, she's like their head of marketing. Incredible woman. I've heard so many stories like hers where they have turned their life around but I've seen where many of them are still stuck in the pain. If you can share a story of what happened to you, and it's not like you're reciting a recipe, but you're also not moved to an emotion or tears that you can't control, then you know you've healed some, in my opinion, what I've seen in the work I'm doing. So with the grief recovery, with the people you're working with today, is it all virtual? Is it in person? Is it a combo? What does that look like for anyone who may be interested in getting in touch, learning more? What does that look like? Well, before COVID, I was doing in-person groups. The blessing of COVID, if there are any, there are some, I'm sure. One of them is, is that many of the trainings that have been out there are now virtual. So I was able to go through an advanced certification where I can actually provide this work online, one-on-one, -on -one, and I can also do groups online. So I can do both, actually. How do people typically find you? Is it through Googling how to grieve or something like that? I'm curious how people stumble into like the grief recovery program. For me personally, it's been through my podcast and guesting, actually. 
Yeah. Okay. So I love every opportunity to talk about grief because I could talk about it all the live long day. So thank you for having me. Yeah, of course. So before we wrap it up, wrap up this episode, I am very curious about Reiki. I'm not even sure if I pronounced that right. I know nothing about it. I feel like I have literally probably a hundred thousand foot view of what it may or may not be. And I'm sure many of my listeners might be in a similar boat. So I'd love if you could just tell me about what that is, how it's incorporated to helping people who are grieving or making a little more broad, how people maybe are using or can use Reiki to build a life that they love, a life of happiness, regardless if they've experienced loss or not. I'm glad you brought that up. So grief is energy, right? And every emotion and every thought we have has energy behind it. And so Reiki is, it was actually, it's a Japanese modality. It was originated in Japan, like early 1900s, 1922, I want to say. And it's laying of hands. It is energy healing. And it's really difficult to wrap your mind around it for some people because I can do that work in person or distance. So I'm really tapping into your energy and we're moving stuck energy within your body. That being said, I'm also training in a new modality right now, actually, that's called biofield tuning, which addresses the energy that is stuck in your energy field that extends five to six feet out from you, which your energy does. Like when you feel, when you come across somebody and you're like, I don't know, I just don't know. I don't know about that person. I kind of get a bad vibe. You're feeling, it's because everyone's energy field extends out. You're feeling their energy. You just can't put your finger on what it is, right? That can also be a contributor to a lot of why relationships fall away when you're grieving. Because not only is it hard for people to maybe understand what you're going through or relate to you, and sometimes you feel as a griever like people just don't know how to be there for you or they don't show up in your life how you want them to or whatever the case may be. But it's look at your energy you're bringing to the relationship. If I'm a high, like naturally a high vibe person and I'm suddenly getting someone with a lower vibe is like infiltrating my space or wanting into my space, like becoming an energy vampire, right? I'm going to be turned off by that. And so it depends on where we, like the phase we're at in our life. If life feels really good, we're feeling good, we're taking care of ourselves, we feel healthy, we're eating high vibe food, you know, all of these things. We're drinking water versus like I'm eating junk food every day and I'm sitting nine hours straight and, you know, all these low, you know what I mean? All of these things contribute to our energy and so does grief and so does anger and all these traumatic things that happen to us. And so... Biofield tuning addresses the stuff out here because our bodies are reflecting what's stuck out here. And I'm finding that I enjoy the biofield tuning more because when we address this stuff out here, because a lot of stuff comes up, I'm kind of in the practice, like, do I have to do a lot of practice sessions and things? And I'm finding that, you know, we go through your timeline of life and I'm picking up things that I don't. I don't know these, some of these people I have, I don't even know. I don't know their whole story. I don't know their life history, but I can tell them that they had a really challenging birth. Like their mom was in labor for a very long time. It's quantum physics, right? It's quantum physics. It's based on science. Time knows no space. I think we're really starting now to like, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Dr. Joe's Dispenza's work. You might be interested in 
looking up his work. He talks, it's like meditation and the impact of meditation, but it's also like intention, a lot of intention. If someone was interested in having, I don't know the right terminology, Reiki done to them, with them, what would that look like if someone was interested in using Reiki as a tool for healing or as a tool for helping them change their energy in their life or shift energy in their own life? Yeah. So I'm actually a Reiki master and I haven't taught Reiki, but I could if I wanted to. I could teach others Reiki level one and two, where you could actually give yourself Reiki. You could shift your own energy. You literally feel in your hands, like your chakras, where you need some movement, where you have some stuck energy. It's fascinating. It really is fascinating. What it looks like is for a distance session, I do my thing on my end and I have my clients relax at the time. You know, I give an email, help them get the most out of their session with tips and I connect with them after. If it's in person, then it's in my office. But with biofield tuning, um, you can actually go about your day. You don't have to like stop and pause because whatever is happening out here, it doesn't matter what you're doing. But with Reiki, it's because we're working with the energy within your body, it's much easier to be in tune with that when you're at rest. That makes sense. We could start to wrap up this episode. That was like, I feel like a 30,000 foot view tease of Reiki and using energy. Where can people find you, connect with you if they want to learn more about grief recovery, Reiki, or any of the other things that you're doing to help people who are grieving? Yeah, my website, theunleashedheart.com has my podcast, Grieving Voices, link on there. My book link is on there. Social media, Instagram, I'm at The Unleashed Heart. My program is Do Grief Differently. That's where I incorporate the grief recovery method in UMAP together. Biofield tuning is not yet available. I'm still in the training of that. Um, And Reiki is also on there. Okay, awesome. Well, thanks so much for coming on the show, Victoria. Appreciate you making time today. Yes, thank you so much. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Bits of Gold podcast. If you like this episode, please take a minute, subscribe, leave a review, and make sure to tune back in this upcoming Monday where we'll drop an all-new interview to help you continue to build your dream life. With that, have an amazing week. I love your podcast. This is gold. This is where it's at. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at UH1.com. 